Well, folks, welcome to One More Edition of Politics and Random. Egberto is your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you today. Welcome aboard. Bridge MCP is in the house. Welcome aboard. E2247, who says, hello, relatives. Today's visit will be the greatest visit ever. As usual, he says. And, of course, we have the star in the house today. Who is our star today? Yvette. Avery Herod, who I hope to interview over this weekend because, you know, she is going strong, leading parts of that strike, that that preparation for a strike against UPS if they don't do what's right. UPS has made billions of dollars on the backs of these workers over the pandemic. They asked these workers to come into work while the executives were home, while the executives were in isolation, while the executives were quarantined. Our packages were still delivered. While we home delivery became a brand new thing that everybody was just doing home delivery. Not brand new, but you know what I mean. And we depended on those UPS workers. I always said something. You put a former and an executive on, on, an, on a barren land. And who do you think survives? The former does. The one who actually gets the work done. So, folks, uh, we must be there. We must be supporting our our. Um, we have got to support our strikers. Uh, if they, if that is, if they strike, they are supposed to meet, as I understand, early next week to try to avert the strike. But I'm telling you, we have to have strong solidarity with those who would like to. Uh, Again, once again, screw with our people, the workers. We won't allow that. We won't allow that. Let's see if I can get that on the screen for you, Senor Rudnin. Um, let me know, first of all, folks, that I don't get an echo. Since it's a new system here that I'm testing out, uh, I want to make sure I don't get echoes or anything of that sort. So let's make sure and get it all running correctly. So there you go. There you go. I don't think audio good. Great. And you can see the screen. Excellent. 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 Anyway, folks, as it turns out, uh, no echo. Excelente mundo. No echo. And I can adjust the camera so that I am not completely blocked by the video. So welcome aboard our star again. And that is Yvette Avery Herod. Welcome aboard, Eric Hayes. We have a lot of stuff to do, a lot of videos to show today. And one of them fairly long. So I'm going to go ahead and get busy but before that, I see that Michael has something. Axios National Weather Service warns over 20% of the U.S. population, 80 million people, are expected to face an air temperature or heat index above 105 degrees Fahrenheit this weekend as a record-breaking heat wave persists over most of the South. Extreme heat events are the top annual weather-related killer. Heat uh, index is what the temperature feels like to the human body when the relative humidity is combined with the air temperature and indices of 103 or above can lead to dangerous heat disorders, which increase the risks of related uh, hospitalizations and deaths. Oops, yep, that's where we are, folks. Eric Hayes says, Egberto, I needed you as an interpreter today. Well, you know, I'm always here to interpret for you when you need me, my friend. You should have give, put a three-way call on or something, and I'd, uh, I'd have taken good care of you, my friend. Anyhow, let's go ahead and get the first video going. This is about Moral Monday, which Moral Monday is when again? On the upcoming Monday. Here we go, and we'll then take it on the other side. Let me get all my P's and Q's clicked. Here we go. Out on Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Radamic. Berto is your host. Thank you so kindly for being here with us today. 
Today, we are honored to have uh, Samantha Turner. She's a campaign manager for the Poor People's Campaign, among many other illustrious organizations she chairs or serves under. And the illustrious Reverend Dr. Rodney Sadler is an associate professor of Bible and, direct, and the director of the Center for Social Justice and Reconciliation at Union Presbyterian Seminary, among his myriad of other things. Thank you so kindly, guys, for really for being out here on Politics Done Right to give us this information about this, this event that we have every year and throughout the year. So anyhow, welcome aboard, uh, Dr. Sadler. Tell us a little bit about exactly what this Moral Monday event is going to be about. Well, I'd, I'd love to tell you a little bit about it, but because Samantha is busy, I want to get her to, to say as much as she can uh, while she's uh, while she's transitioning here. Uh, the Moral Monday event in Charlotte this upcoming Monday uh, is an opportunity to bring the Moral Monday message back home to the Charlotte community. Uh, and Sam, would you like to say something about it? Sure. So um, I can... It, I can tell you the history of it. Reverend Sadler actually can tell you the history of it better, but it started with the NAACP here in uh, in North Carolina when Reverend William Bishop Barber was uh, the president of the NAACP. He started the Moral Monday event to uh, protest legislation that was starting uh, and hurting people uh, uh, and taking away their health care. And he actually... Um, you know, the force that it became, Moral Mondays became on the legislature actually changed the vote and the health care uh, was not slashed. So um, Moral Monday has a long history. The last one in Charlotte was, and, and you can find that out at the poorpeoplescampaign.org. Please go there. There's some great information. There's a whole bunch on Moral Monday and the history and pictures. It's wonderful. Um, I just don't want to miss my exit. I'm sorry. So, uh, yeah, um, it, it, it's going to be uh, wonderful. This, this event, we're going to have uh, speakers from the clergy, from I think five or six different uh, denominations of um, Christianity, Judaism, um, Muslim faiths, and um, we will have theomusicology. We will have um, impacted speakers. I don't, I don't usually speak. <laughs> I'm not the speaker. So uh, we, we let, we give impacted speakers the microphone so we can hear from them how the policies in this country and in the state impact them. Um, and, and that's how we have to uh, push the legislature. So moral Mondays are not, um, they are not partisan. They're never partisan, but they are highly political. Well, and look, let me tell you, first of all, uh, first of all, um, uh, Samantha, we we like everybody to be able to get out there and speak. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, especially those who are working it, working so hard in the background as uh, as you are. So first of all, thank you very much. Let's go back to uh, uh, Dr. Sadler, Reverend Dr. Sadler. Um, yes. The, the 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 moral Monday started yes with healthcare, but it really under the poor uh, people's campaign it really morphed into a hell of a lot more. And sorry for the wordiology slipped uh, uh, again, 
it, it, it morphed into a whole lot more. And I think it is something that America needs to understand the reasoning behind why it had to morph. Good. So actually, the the Moral Monday movement began in 2013, uh, August 29th, when William Barber and 16 of his good friends walked into the General Assembly building of North Carolina and said that we will not take what's going on. We will not take uh, the legislation that's been poured out on the state from the American Legislative Exchange Council. Uh, At that point in time was the first time in more than 100 years that the General Assembly and governorship of the state of North Carolina had gone to the Republican Party. Uh, and this time, it wasn't just Republicans that were governing us. It was a group of extremists that were hell-bent on trying to uh, do things to turn back the tide, to remove the advances that had come about in the state of North Carolina in things like health care and things like education and things like voting rights. Uh, and in essence, they were trying to do a systematic turning back the clock to the 1940s, the 1950s, if, the, if I can. They'd done things like they were trying to pass a uh, uh, a uh, scheme to put vouchers in the hands of people of North Carolina and undermine the public education system. They were trying to make sure that the uh, Affordable Air Care Act that had just come through the Obama administration, that it failed in the state of North Carolina. They wanted to deny uh, the right of North Carolinians to have access to health care. And the easiest way for them to do that was to deny Medicaid expansion. They're trying to work against uh, the rights of workers uh, and trying to turn back the tide on the ability to unionize in the state of North Carolina. They were working, uh, working against uh, access to voting rights. And literally, uh, one of the most frustrating things was that uh, we had made such significant advances in the state of North Carolina, in part led by the work of the North Carolina NAACP, uh, that they had uh, tr- were trying to turn back early voting. They were trying to uh, put in place voter ID laws. They were trying to gerrymander the state. Uh, in the aftermath, this is in the middle of our first Moral Monday campaign in 2013, in the aftermath of the um, the decision that came out of the Supreme Court, Shelby versus uh, Holder, uh, they literally the day after in the state of North Carolina put in place a monster voter disenfranchisement act that would literally work with, as this fourth circuit uh, circuit court said, surgical precision against the rights of African-American voters. Uh, They put in place this monster voter disenfranchisement bill that really did try to turn back the tide. Uh, So Moral Monday became an effort to stand against this. It was an effort to say, we need to uh, push back against our legislature, we need to make sure that we remind them that they have a constitutional responsibility to care for all of the rights of all of the citizens of the state, and they couldn't pick and choose, and they could not take away the rights of those who are most vulnerable uh, and most at risk. So Moral Monday was originally an opportunity to make all of these issues come to the forefront. What I love about Dr. Barber is that he said, this is a fusion moral movement. So we're not just fighting for health care. We're not just fighting for voting rights. We're not just fighting for education. We're fighting for all of it because we don't just want a state where we've got good education and poor health care or good health care and poor voting rights or good voting rights and poor uh, abilities of people from outside of the nation to immigrate within to it. We need victories in all of these areas. And in order to be successful, we need to work together. We need to come together and we need to uh, we need to be a moral voice that 
bears witness together. So I think that's what the Moral Monday movement was at its inception and what it still continues to be in the state of North Carolina and around the country. And as I understand it now, Samantha, uh, this is uh, while this is coming back to Charlotte, North Carolina, right? Uh, Is it Charlotte? Yes. Coming back to Charlotte, North Carolina. This movement now is uh, is countrywide. What uh, how can they find out about Monday, what's going on and on all the resources that they can get uh, to work with you in uh, on on Monday. Right now, the event is listed on the North Carolina Poor People's Campaign page uh, website. Um, it is PPC. Uh, uh, PPC I'll find it and post it. Dash NC.org. PTC-NC.org. The event invitation is there. And otherwise, please go to the poorpeoplescampaign.org, sign up in your state. Um, any You will get emails from uh, circles or, or groups in your area, and they will reach out to you. Let me ask one other question. Is this going to be streamed as well for people who want to see it in real time? Yes, it will. It will be streamed on that page. On the, uh, Actually, uh, it's going to be streamed on our social media. So on Facebook and Twitter and I believe Instagram mm-hmm. for, from the North Carolina Poor People's Campaign. Yes. Now, let me say one thing that I've always concerned me in that I don't think this movement has gotten the amount of attention from our quote unquote mainstream media as some hate groups have gotten whenever they they do something. You guys are actually doing something that is good throughout the country and not gotten uh, gotten the the recognition you will not recognition. That's what we're talking about. Gotten the coverage that you that that you deserve over the uh, over on the mainstream media. Uh, Are you doing anything to mitigate that other than, well, here you have independent media here will definitely be covering it. But are we doing anything to sort of shame these guys into doing what's right? I think, I think a number of things are uh, were being done from the beginning, from the very beginning. Uh, William Barber worked with people like Eric Preston uh, to have their own individual media uh, that was independent of all that was going on. Uh, they worked with a number of other people who were documentarians, who were recording uh, the uh, materials that were going on to make sure that we always had our own ability to witness. But I mean, you're right. Uh, Literally from the first major Moral Monday events, we noticed that there weren't the kinds of media that should have been there to see the greatest movement in the South since the 1960s. Uh, There weren't the kinds of independent media that were uh, there in other places. Uh, We were always able to bring out some people. We had some groups that were constantly there. Uh, There were some people that were there from Latino groups. There were people that were there from uh, from independent media groups and even some groups uh, some from Spectrum News that were uh, there from the beginning. But always there was the, a dearth of the kind of reporting that we'd like to see. Uh, in uh, January of, uh, excuse me, February of 2014, when we had the biggest movement in the state of North Carolina in the South since the 1960s with the HK on J, more than 100,000 people showed up. The media uh, was barely present, was barely evident. And those that were there reported something like 50 to 60,000 people and did not record the actual number of people that were there. Uh, so I think there's always been the sense that uh, the official media were trying to make sure that they downplayed 
what was actually going on. But the, the fact is that they could not do it. And because we had our own media sources, because we had our own people that were showing up and right. taking pictures and recording things, uh, they could not keep uh, a lid on what was going on. Even today, we need to make sure that we push this out there. That's why I'm so glad that Sam has gotten independent media sources, people that are coming out to make sure that the sounds of the people are being heard. Uh, we've got people uh, like Brian Kasher, who have been there from the very beginning to make sure that people could hear what was going on, could see it, could see it streamed live uh, on Facebook, could see it streamed live on other alternative media to make sure that the voices of the people would be heard. Well, I'll be picking that up as well, Reverend. Uh, I, I tell you what, this is all to control the narrative. You see, the narrative of a fusion movement is dangerous because yeah, yeah. it is all people getting together. And when all people get together, uh, it, it, it makes the plutocracy concerned, if you will. Anyhow, let's go ahead and close this down. We'll make sure and get all this information out. Give me a closer, Samantha. Thank you so much for getting this out there. It is so important that we do get the do get media uh, to recognize what's happening. It is huge what is happening. We had an event uh, last June in Washington, D.C. We took over Pennsylvania Avenue. We closed it down. We shut it down. We had uh, over 200,000 people. It was an amazing, uh, an amazing uh, event. And there was two minutes of coverage on the local news. Somebody doesn't want people to see this. Yes, thank you, you for nailed getting it. Out. You thank nailed you. it, but yes. you nailed it, Samantha, but we're going to make sure people see it. Reverend? Yes, yes. we are. Yes, we are. Thank yeah. you. I want to say, please uh, take a look back at the, that event. Eric Preston and uh, Andrea Preston and Fusion Films did a fine job of making sure that everything's documented. There were more than 250,000 people, I think, you had at that event and last uh, in, in Washington last year. It was an amazing event. But this event, we hope, will be a great way of bringing it home. In essence, the reason we're doing a Moral Monday in Charlotte was because Dr. Barber, when we had our commemorative and... Uh, reminder of Moral Monday a couple months ago uh, reminded us that we need to take these messages back home. So this is an opportunity to come to Charlotte, North Carolina and say uh, the work of Moral Monday is still not done. The need to bear moral witness against the uh, unjust legislation that's coming out of our General Assembly is not done. And we need to do this in Charlotte, North Carolina, in Wilmington, in Winston-Salem, in Asheville. We need to make sure that this message continues to resonate and that people continue to hear a moral voice. So that's what we're doing in Charlotte on the 24th of July. We're trying to make sure that we're amplifying this moral voice back home in Charlotte. And we hope that people will take this seriously wherever you are. Uh, so I was just at a Moral Monday in Tennessee a couple of months ago. I hope that uh, in Texas, in, uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, in Los Angeles, uh, California, that this moral message will continue to resonate and that people will continue to make sure that we hear uh, the need for moral legislation coming from our General Assemblies. And let's take this message back to Washington, D.C. The way the Poor People's Campaign has been doing, let's make sure we amplify this moral message so that our legislators know that we cannot continue to rule in favor of the 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 uh, the, the wealthy, the rich, the elites. Uh, we need to make sure that the people's voice is heard and that common people's voices and needs and interests are represented in our state capitals and in our capital in Washington, D.C. 
could not be said any better. Reverend Dr. Rodney Sandler and Samantha Turner, thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Good to be with you today, Egberto. God bless you. Thank you. All right, folks. And I, I, I tell you what, uh, 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 Peggy Lopez nailed it. I think what really pissed off the right wing about BLM was the amazing variety of people hitting the streets. Never thought of the group as a fusion of human beings before this talk. That's what it is. They're very scared of the fusion movement. All of us getting together. We're going to be touch, touching on several issues like that. Next week, I have a hell of an interview that I did with a young woman who is on the right, uh, really pushing for anti-abortion. I think you guys are going to like it. But for now, let's go ahead and talk to Lonnie Morris, uh, and then we'll take it on the other side. Let's go ahead and go right there. Lonnie Morris, welcome to Politics Done Right here at Netroots Nation 2023. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing good, and thank you for having me. Well, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about, first of all, what brought you to Netroots Nation? Well, I... A friend of mine uh, who created a documentary called What These Walls Won't Hold that I'm probably featured in uh, had came out and screened his documentary out here last week. I couldn't make it with him. And so he said, hey, man, do you want to go next week to this conference? He knows my organization, No More Tears, that right. we do work around social justice reform. We're going to talk about your organization. Right. So he knew I'd do that work. He said, there's this great... Conference, conference that's going on and you might want to go to it and think it'd be beneficial. Where are you out of? I'm out of Oakland. Oakland, yeah. California? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. So so I came. So I'm here now. And just now to, what was your first impression when you saw all that we have to offer here at Netroots? Well, I mean, it seems like a really cool, like I said, this is my first time coming. I didn't, I didn't even know what Netroots was, to be honest with you. Right. Uh, it seems like a pretty, you know, uh, exciting space. It seems like there's a lot of work being done around progressive politics. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure what my full impression is. I'm just learning. You're just learning. It's my it's first, the day. first day. Yeah, exactly. The first few hours right. of the first exactly. day. Exactly. And I don't. Yeah. And I didn't know about Netroots from anything else before uh, he informed me about. It. Well, one of the things that I like to feature here on my program is activists that are out there doing the work. Mm -hmm. uh, I think too often they're not featured as they should. Right. What kind of work are you doing? So uh, my organization is called No More Tears, and we were started 21 years ago in San Quentin State Prison, and we work around violence intervention prevention, uh, and we do uh, restorative uh, uh, practices. What is that? What do so, so restorative practices healing circles are where we get with survivors of violent crime and, and uh, uh, perpetrators of violent crime, and we work together to reconcile their differences in terms of those who have created harm and those who have experienced harm. And we say all of us have experienced harm on some level or another, mm -hmm. and all of us have done harm on some level or another. So if we can come together in a space where we're equal mm -hmm. in terms of our experiences and we can share those experiences, then we can find healing. Function. I, I hear the, the 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 aura around it. How do you actually bring people into the fold? Get a clientele. Right. So so we work inside primarily inside San Quentin State Prison. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yeah, that's so one of the major. Heard of yeah, so it's one of the yeah. major prisons in, in the United States of America. So we work there primarily. We go in 
twice a week. <laughs> on Saturdays, we do workshops, right? And those workshops are around unsafe responses to violence and change your mindset because we understand that the first thing we have to do is get people to think about what is violence and how does violence play out in their lives and why many people in prison were violent prior to coming to prison. Some of us, while so you we want to prison. know the genesis of the problem, unlike too many people. Well, we know the genesis. No, no, we know the, the no, we know the genesis. No, no, what I'm saying though, what I'm saying is you you attack the core of the problem exactly. as opposed to people who just say you do something bad, we lock you exactly. up. You yeah. find out first why are you why are you likely to do something bad? Yeah, well we well the people that we're dealing with have already done something bad. Right. So because they're in prison. So uh, or or they've been accused of doing something bad. Some people in there are innocent, but right. most of us have done something. I, I'm formerly incarcerated myself. Right. So I'm speaking from experience, right? Right. So most of us have done something to get ourselves in prison. Now there were a lot of conditions that led to what we did and led us to prison and so on right. and so on, right? But I'm just saying general. So we already know that people are sitting in the prison have done right. things that were contrary to what the social norm was. Right. So what we try to do is get those people to think about why they did what they did, right? right? What was the causative factors to their behavior? And then how do we change that? Right. How do we change your mindset so right. you can go back into society and function in a way that keeps you free of society and free right. of harming other people? Right. And uh, now you said you operate in, 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 how are you funded? Is it state funded? Or are you, we're, uh, so we're a volunteer organization, basically, right. and we get grants here and there. It's right. not a state funded organization, uh, we, but mostly volunteer and we get grants, you know, small grants here right. and there. So we operate like that. Uh, and our volunteers. Now, have you seen uh, successes? Uh, certainly. So in our, in our numbers that we, we've been able to uh, accumulate is that 85 to 90% of the people who go through our program and get released from prison do not return to prison. So the recidivation rate is, is very, is very, very low. low. And, and of those who have returned, none of them have returned for violent crimes. Only a small percentage. Of petty. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, violation. You may, they might have been had a, a drug problem and they returned right. to using drugs right. or, or they uh, absconded from their right. parole officer or something like that there. But none right. of them have returned for violent crimes. Well, that, that I, I would call it a big success. You know? Certainly. We, I, we believe we're a very successful program and the way we approach it is we meet people where they're at. Right. We, don't, we don't try to preach to people or talk down to them. We say that, man, we can't change you. You right. fundamentally have to change yourself and that we can provide you with tools and a place and a space yeah. where you can feel safe enough to make those changes. And I'll, I think one of the things that you probably add to these folks that, that many of them are missing is you respect them. You respect exactly. the person. Right. And in, in starting by respect and them respecting you, right. many a times they want to honor right. those who showed them respect and in doing so improve on their own lives. Exactly. And, and the other part of it is, is that we have the lived experience. Most of all of us for the most part mm -hmm. that founded the organization were incarcerated. Well, you know what? Let me stop you right yeah. there because you, you bring something up. Um, you are one of the founders, I guess, of this. I am the founder. You are the founder yes. of the organization. So I can ask you this directly. What allowed you to change your being into somebody who understood the concept of why I did what I did or many, I don't, I don't know what you do. Right, I don't need right. to know what you did, but uh, why many of us who've done this do it? What made you different from the others to out, go out there and say, you know what? I'm going to take control of this and do it myself. I am actually going to start fomenting change. Uh, that's a good question. So there's a number of things. One, uh, I almost got, I got stabbed uh, and almost was killed mm -hmm. in prison. Um, that started it, kind of, so to speak, because 
I was living in the, what we call the thug life or the criminal lifestyle, even right. in prison, right? Right. Uh, when I got stabbed, they, they put me in what's called a hole, which right. is isolation and segregation. And when I was in there, I just started kind of thinking about my right. life because the doctor told me, hey man, if this knife would have went an inch deeper, because he stabbed me right on my heart, right. for an inch deeper, we wouldn't be here. You know what right. I'm saying? So you better think whatever God you believe in uh, for your life, right? right? And that made me think, man, if I'd have died, you know, it's as over. a result of this, not just it's over, but what legacy would I have left? Right. Who would I have been? Could anybody at my funeral have said anything good about me and not be lying? Right. Right. So it made me start thinking about that. And I said, man, I don't want to live my life like that. Right. I don't want to be a person that doesn't contribute anything to life. And when I leave, people got to make up lies about right. who I was, right, to try to make me look like a good guy. Right. And so uh, that I didn't really change him, but that started the process. Right. And then over time, just as I met more people, I got involved in college. I got me a bachelor of arts degree in prison. And once I did that, that just really opened up my whole mindset right. to the possibilities of what I could be and could do in my life, right? And then once I realized that, I wanted to share that with other people, right? So I started saying, man, how can I con uh, connect with people in the community right. that's out there experiencing the violence, particularly in Oakland, in the late 90s and early 2000s, Oakland was like the murder capital of the world, mm -hmm. right? I mean, per capita, we was, more people was getting killed than anywhere else, right? right? And mostly all young black men, right? right? And so I thought that, man, maybe I can connect with them some kind of way, because a lot of these young black men were coming into prison. So I couldn't get out of prison because I had a life sentence at that time. You had a life sentence? Yes, I had a life sentence, right. And so I couldn't get out of prison, so when the guys were coming in, I said, well, maybe I can start working with these guys in here right. to do something. So I got together with a group of people and said, hey man, I want to start an organization and we want to do something to affect change in terms of the way people perpetrate and think about violence, right? And the way they, their mindsets, the way they think about their lives right. and what they're doing with their lives. And so we started working together with this collective of about seven or eight of us. A couple of people, my, my uh, co-founder, Mick Gardner, mm -hmm. who was uh, instrumental, he's now our executive director. He was instrumental because he was not in prison he would come in every week and meet with us so we could formulate this organization. Um, so him, uh, uh, Bobby Evans, a lot of guys, I don't want to try to name, right. but I miss somebody's name. But a lot of people came together and we started working on this, developed a curriculum, started doing workshops in 2004, and we've been doing the workshops ever since. Lonnie, this all tells me that there is something in you already uh, that that causes, you know, and I guess what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to reach, right, is, um, you, what within, first of all, what made you do whatever it is that you did? Right. And secondly... We're talking about the crime? Yes. Okay. And 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 and, uh, and also, what within you, I understand when you said you wanted to leave a legacy. Right. But for you to want to leave a legacy means that you had this inner thing inside of you that said, I am somebody, right. something else. I don't know what Yeah. No, no. So, so, and that's a good question too. So yeah, definitely. So you know, I came up in, in the in the fifties, sixties. Right. So in an era where black power, right. you know, what I'm saying, was at its height, in the, right. particularly in the sixties, right. So I came up under that right. kind of tutelage, right? right. And so I understood that I had value. That I, right. as a black man, that I had worth and I had value, right? Uh, where I got distracted at was when you come up against this racist system right. and it's not fair, right. then you start thinking, at least I did, and another, another number of other young black men that was coming up like me, we started thinking, this thing ain't fair, so they ain't playing fair, so why should I? Uh, See what I'm saying? That is, that is a, that's a, what I wanted. Right, yes, yes, yes. So we started thinking like that. Why should I play fair? They ain't playing fair. So 
guess what? I'm not gonna play by your rules. You know what I'm saying? You say you can't do this, you can't commit crime, you can't harm people. Yeah, I can. You know what I'm saying? You harming me, commit crimes against me. So that was the thinking or the justification for the behavior. Right. You know, the behavior was wrong. Right. Let me get that out there. But that was the thinking and the justification. I get that. I'm glad that you said that because you, you open up another thing for me. And the other thing now is then, I get that. Right. As far as, well, you're not gonna play the rules. How comes though that a lot of, uh, it's a silly question, mm -hmm. but I want, I want the okay. audience to hear it. Yeah. That a lot of this crime that is created is among the same the, the same group because uh, the big thing about it is like black and black crime like yes yeah, something right, right. strange when many don't realize that black and black crime is just as, almost the same as white on white crime right, but, right. but I mean I'm, you know uh, given that it was something that you say against the system right. how comes it, it was mostly black and black crime? so now that's really cool because I think that when when you look at the conditions under which we come up right and the nature of the reality of any human being, whether right. black, white, brown, or young, right. most of the times we lash out at the things that's closest to us. That's Be what I Yes, mean. because it's difficult to get to the things at a distance. So, right. so the system, right, I can't get to the system per se, but dude on the street corner, I can get to him. Right. And so there's there's been a dearth of what we call respect. Right. Right. And then there's this, been this false illusion of what a respect really is. Exactly. So all that lends itself to me saying, I gotta establish myself again as somebody in this world. And to do that, I'm willing to step on you, you, you. And the person I'm gonna step on first is usually the person that's closest to me. Right. Because they in they in proximity to right. me. So it's right. easier right. to step on you than it is to step right. on somebody that's 10 miles away or 100 miles away or across the country, whatever, right? So I think a lot of what we see is the black on black crime is related directly to this being put in the these squats get a proximity and put in these environments, depressed environment, oppressive environments where anger, fear, uh, disillusion, right. all these other things are bred into those environments. I'm glad you gave context to that because uh, and that, that that would be the same rationale that explains white on white crime or right. Asian on Asian right, crime, etc. Right. etc. Et and I think unless that is expanded on, right. as you said, right, what we get is we get a false notion that somehow when people see black kids shooting up each right. other, they don't get the gist of it that, right. well, you know, the for the white kids who shoot up against each right. other, it's the, it's the same thing. Or for the Asian kids, it's it's the environment. Now, if they say, well, on a percentage basis, there is more uh, crime in the black community. Really, yeah. You also have to put out and say exactly what you pointed out mm -hmm. earlier on. Right. Given that you're in a society uh, where you know you're where there's deprived, and those that are deprived right. move on to do these things. Right. It happens the same in a Palachia, where right. it's a white community. Right, yes. It happened the same in the Barrios. Right, right, right. Community. It happens the same in the black right. community. Yeah. Well, I, I'll say generally, yeah, but I do think there's another added element to it. Oh, because we, and, yeah. and I, I want to hear that. Well, the element of slavery. I mean, yeah. because the legacy of slavery, we have a tendency to kind of overlook that as, you know, kind of just make it like a byproduct of something. Right. But the legacy of slavery among black folks is alive and well, right? So we were taught self-hatred, right? During the slavery era, then even post-slavery era, right? We were still that self-hatred was perpetuated. So this, the identifier of self-hatred is in our genetic makeup, right. right? So that lends itself to where it's whites, uh, Asians, they were not taught this kind of self-hatred to the degree that we were taught. 
So, right. so I think that plays another role in. in I, the, it's good to expand on that, right. Lonnie. It's very, I think it's important, in fact, to expand right. on what you just said that there is inherently right. maybe more violence in, in that community. And what you just pointed out, it's yes, it's there. A lot of it is socioeconomic, right. but do not leave the component of slavery. So yeah, the, the emotional and psychological impact right. of it of slavery has wreaked havoc on our community. You know, I, I think you're I think you're making me rethink a few things right. in the way you said that. I think I think that that component is a it's likely a component that I hadn't mm. added. You know, I know about it, but I don't think I've added that into right. what I'm doing. So I think that is a very very necessary. Well, think about just think about this. Yeah, the N word, right? Right. So in the '60s, and right. I tell young people this all the time, that was an anathema. You right. couldn't use the N word around right. black folks. You right. just you like the brother was just talking about, about being woke. Right. That, that was woke. We didn't have a terminology right, then, right. but that was woke then, man. Using that the N word, right. that was oh man, no, nah, you get kicked out the car. Right. You couldn't even be around black folks using that, right? right. Especially in, in in public spaces, right? right. Now behind closed doors, you know, people do what they do, but right. in public spaces like this now. In, on the radio, airways, right. where it's everywhere, all the time, right. in the movies, everything, that was that was unheard of, right? But again, it's permitted, going back to the legacy of slavery, right? It's permitted by the the the, the, the powers that be, whether it's radio, television, right. that word can be used by anybody, anytime, right. for the most, particularly if you're black, right? right? And nothing gets said or done, right. right, about it. But there are certain words, if you use some against, and I'm not being biased or racist or nothing, I'm just being honest. Use a, a, a negative word against a gay person or use a negative word against a Jewish person, you're going to get called a task for it. Right. You're going to have a problem, right? right? Right. But again, so that's the legacy of slavery, that this ideal that psychologically we continue to perpetuate negative reinforcement of us as a people. And we've now even gone to the degree what we say, oh, we you show it with love. We don't use it with the N-I- N-I-G-G-E-R. We use the N-I-G-G-A. Yeah. Come on, Makes man. No knock sense. it off. Yeah. Don't make no sense at all, bro. Right. Same word. The root of the word is the same. White folks, and I tell young black folks, they try to tell me, I said, look, man, let me tell you something. White folks in the South didn't know, didn't know how to, and I want to use the word, but I won't, didn't know how to say the N-I-G-G-E-R. Right. Because they were Southern and people. And that's why it was N-I-G-G-A. Hey, thank you. They started that. Yeah. They, right. yeah that's what it was. Interestingly, I'm glad you said that because I, I, that w- w- about using that word. I once, uh, I think I wrote a blog on this. Where right. I said, uh, if I'm a if I'm a rapper, right, and I'm a rapper using that word, right, and most of my music is is bought by right. non-black, exactly, people, right. How do I ask somebody to spend some money on my mm-hmm. on my uh, music, right. Who can't sing it, right, right, right. No, that's the thing. You're right. That's a good point too. But but the thing is, they can't sing it because everybody's using it now because it's been made acceptable. Right. And it's crazy because I've talked to some people in the industry, the, you know, the music industry and in the, the radio and film industry. And they right. say, well, man, uh, you know, we're just catering to what you guys want. Right. right. So so, you know, we we're, we don't want to be censoring right. people in the right. song, freedom of speech, blah, 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 right. blah. But again, on the flip side, there's other words you can't say and you're not going to cater to that. They say certain other words. Well, you're, not, you're done. You little baby. I mean, the baby is a prime example. Not exactly. What's the word that I hear? Cancel. Yes, exactly. So, so, so that's what I'm saying. So, so it goes back to this lack of respect for black folks, right? And this assumption that we're in some way inferior, so we're not going to rise to the level of demanding that you 
refuse to use those words on the airways. I'll use uh, allow people to use those words on the airways. Well, I I I, I don't. Please don't take this no, as con- okay. condescending at all. But what I think you prove, what you articulate, shows without a doubt uh, many a times the wasted lives mm-hmm. that we have right. here in our prison system. Yep. For what the, uh, the 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 justice system and the criminal justice right. system has done to our people, right. because the fact that uh, you, a person coming out of right. prison, right. can actually understand the deep concepts of what's going on right. socially and what have occurred previously in this country, speaks a lot to me that we likely have a hell of a lot of wasted talent. Oh, ain't no question. Sitting yeah. back, ain't no question in these yeah. areas. So, so give me a closer uh, of this segment. Um, uh, what I would say, man, is that I think that uh, conferences like this are good. And I, and I was telling a young lady uh, just earlier that uh, the politics, this brother was kind of mentioning uh, the brother that was going before, the politics of this country doesn't really lend itself to real systemic social change, right? Um, because you got the two-party system, that's a problem. You got black folks basically catering to the Democrats, that's a problem because the Democrats can kind of take your vote for granted because they know, oh, you're not gonna vote for me. I just voted for the first time in an election, man, because uh, I never voted in my life. Didn't believe in voting. Uh, uh, went to prison, got out, and decided, because I got, in California, they restored the right to vote once you're out of prison. Right. right? You can't do it in prison yet. They're working on that. But, so I said, well, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna try to vote there. When I was going down my ballot, bro, it was so crazy because I could, couldn't vote for the Republican because it's just, you know, it's, yeah. being where they at, man, it's way out, right? But I couldn't, I distastefully voted for the Democrat. Right. Because I'm looking at some, I knew some of these people on the ballot. So I was right. like, oh man, this dude, dude, I ain't, you know, whatever, right? But I still checked the box. Right. And after I did it and took my ballot in, I was, I felt kind of like a shame, bro. Because I was like, why did I do that? Can, can I make yes. a parallel to that? Uh, I tell people, I, you did the right thing in, in, in that you chose the lesser of two evils. Yeah, I don't like the term. But go I, ahead, I know, I know you don't yeah. like it. I don't like it either. Right. I'm using that. I, I'm just well, I speaking practically now. But I tell you one thing. That reinforces what we must do in primaries. Right. Well, so that we, when I say that, what I mean is we have to make sure that those who are going to apply on that are going to appear on that final ballot. Right. Or acceptable. Right. Acceptable. When I say acceptable, the candidates we really, really want. In other words, as an example, the progressive, you go to a lot of Democratic uh, primaries right now, mm-hmm. there's, uh, there may be somebody that's progressive that believes in social justice. Right, and, right, right, right. And then right. there's another establishment right. candidate. Right. And they always tell you, we got to vote for this right, right. candidate because that's right. the person that can right. win. That's not right. a known factor or no. What we yeah. have to do is vote for that progressive person that believes in the values mm. we talk about, in my humble right. opinion. Right. And then that way, when you go to vote the next time and you have a Republican that you right. know is not serving you, the next right. person is going to be a candidate yeah. that will serve you. Right. Well, that's, I mean, philosophically, that sounds great. What I, what I think is, in this, in this kind of closing segment, is that we have to rethink how we do politics okay. in, this, in this country, particularly those of us of color. Now, people of color, we make up a large segment of the voting population, yeah. right? Uh, the white population is shrinking, the people of color 
world population is growing, right, in this country. So I think that that when we say progressive, whatever term we want to use for it, if you run it in the mainstream political arena, you're still going to be subjected to the game that they play. Right. And they always got maneuvers. Even if you get in offices of progressive, right, right, right. we were talking, just talking about OAC. Hey, they they starting to annihilate her in terms of shutting her down. Right. They ain't giving her the platform that she had before. At first, she was all over everything. Right. Now, she can't already get a platform at times, right? right? So, so, so there can always, the system is designed to control people. Right. So they can always control, quote, the progressive or whoever, unless we change the system. And give me your change. So, so I think the change in the system means that we fundamentally start on a grassroots level and start putting people in power that's going to be beholden to us and that we're going to, like the brother was saying earlier, that we're going to demand right. that we're not going to just put you in power and say, oh yeah, go do what we supposed to No, no. When you don't do what you're supposed to do, we're going to put you out of power. I think, I don't think we disagree at all. No, I don't think we disagree. I don't think we disagree. No, I'm not saying we disagree. I'm just saying the next level of that is recognizing that I don't care what your title is. Mm -hmm. If you're not serving our interests, you're out of there. You're out of there. I don't care. Progressive, whatever. The best person in the world, whoever. We love you to death and all that. You're out. See what I'm saying? Lonnie Morris. It's been my pleasure speaking to you. You too, brother. Okay? Thank you, man. uh, Keep up doing the good work. Right on. We need activists out there doing the work. And we need activists coming to these kind of organizations not for themselves right. but for what you can impart right. on others right on thank you man thank you appreciate it man All right. hey have a good one man we spend a lot of time deconstructing the news trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand we try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes it flies above the fray etc if you really like these videos that we do I want to ask a big favor please go ahead number one subscribe to our channel and number two please join if you can thank you so kindly for watching keep watching please remember to share Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that. You know, that was supposed to be a five to seven minute interview. I was so enthralled in what Lonnie was saying. I couldn't get out of that interview. I just wanted to keep going and keep going because the guy is uh, uh, the guy is very enlightened. And I just enjoyed uh, the talk and the camaraderie with El Senor Lonnie. Okay, the other one is with Michael Thome. Me and Michael Thome go back a long time. We've been going to net routes all over the country, from Baltimore to New Orleans to San Jose to Arizona, uh, Phoenix, to just about everywhere in the country. And I've never interviewed him. I interviewed his daughter this time and his son a couple of years ago. But this time I got to my friend Michael Thome. Check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side. Welcome to another edition of Politics and Right. I'm honored to be with Michael Thome. Michael, you have been a long, long, long time activist coming to Netroots for how many years consecutively? I don't know. Uh, actually, we missed last year uh, for other re- for non-related reasons. But let me ask you a question first of all. Sure. Did you at least watch one stream? Of-
of networks. Yes, but... I am not going to give you the opportunity to say, after spending year after year coming here, I think we I think we should hold the honor that you're still the net roots connoisseur the person uh, okay. here every year. Okay, well, well we try. We try. We but try. tell me about first of all, how did you get started with Netroots Nation? Uh, uh, well we were Delicos. Uh, we were involved in Delicos, so you know, originally it grew out of Delicos is uh, a big progressive blog. Uh, and uh, Marcos Molitsis uh, started Delicos many years ago. Uh, and and uh, they uh, we got involved in progressive politics through that blog, and uh, and I guess a group of participants in the blog really wanted were, were interested in getting together at some point. And, and in those days, I think it was called Yearly Coast, right? Yes, the first two years were called year, the 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 conference was called Yearly Coast, but right. that was too limiting. There were too many people who were interested in participating in this kind of this kind of get together to you know to be so narrow as to just call it yearly coast and then it turned into this it turned into this and you know daily coast is still around um and our involvement is certainly a lot bigger than than daily coast nowadays but but that's okay we still we still do daily coast stuff uh and and you know everyone else here from all over is is certainly more than the blogosphere also um a lot more than the blogosphere in, in fact you it's, it, yeah <laughs> it, 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 it's amazing it's what it has turned into where everybody from all, every progressive s- segment of society is here at this conference. Right, the whole net roots, uh, you know, the highly technical, uh, te- technological, uh, online uh, engagement, uh, you know, grassroots organizing, and, you know. And look, to show that, to, to show that, you know, uh, organizing and activism is for everybody. What do you do for, for a living? For a living, absolutely nothing uh, related to politics. Uh, I'm a technology guy. Um, I run a s- relatively small product for a big company, and uh, we do. We are online as uh, at some level, but you've never heard of our company, and well, you have because we talked before. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, we work behind the scenes in customer support uh, for electronics and banks and uh, stuff. But you know um, what is interesting is that. In as much as you're doing these non-political things, you see a reason to come to oh, this every year because you want to be a part of the well, body everything, politics. Everything's political, whether whether you would. I like that. Well, it is. What isn't political? I mean, yeah. uh, you know, every everything going on in politics affects affects our daily lives in um, in so many different ways that it, you know, I think it's important. It's more important, more than important. It's critical to be engaged. Um, you know, if you're not engaged at all, you have no idea who to vote for, who to talk to, how to talk to your representatives, how how to sort of let people know the, the lawmakers, if nothing else. Uh, you know, you're a citizen. If you're a citizen, you have uh, you have a responsibility to be engaged with your representatives and to participate. You know, this morning uh, I did my show in Houston from the hotel room, the live on air, and there is one the one of the guys in the in the control room he has a peeve and he constantly say uh 
we have to get out there and vote it. So whatever is happening out there is our fault. Get the hell out and vote. And in effect, as somebody like yourself who have so many other interests, you see the importance of what we're doing here. Absolutely. And, you know, I, voting is like the bare minimum. Um, you know, I, I think one of the one of my takeaway messages from from Netroots uh, and and sort of being involved at this level at at the at the ground level is your representatives really want to hear from you, right? You know, um, every time I talk to an elected representative, whether I voted for them or not, uh, they are deeply interested. With certain exceptions, but they should be deeply interested right. in in what you think about and what I think about what's what's going on, how they should do their business, what how they should legislate, and where they should put their priorities. Um, I think so many times representatives uh, are stuck either are stuck listening to the to the to their the people that fund them and organizations that fund them because they're the loudest. Um, you know, they, if, if, if I donate thousands of dollars to your campaign, right. I feel, I feel, uh, empowered to, to yell at you and say, this is, I'm, I'm a big donor. I, I should be able to, uh, to communicate with you and tell you what I think should happen. Right. If I just voted for you, I'm, I really should be just as important. Right. You know, everyone one should person, have the vote. One, vote. one, one, one person, person, one vote. One vote. Yes. But I think that gets lost. Um, the money in the, in the system gets uh, overwhelms that so, so much. So those of us who don't donate thousands of dollars um, really need to be louder. And, you know, it's that what we teach here. We have several breakouts that talk about how to be, how to, you know, I used to say that we try to empower people, but we can't empower folks because they're already empowered. Yeah. And as such, they, we just show them how to use the power that they right. even if, have. Even if it's, you know, talking to, whether it's sending a letter or sending an email right. or better, best, the best thing is personal contact. Right. You know, banging on their office door, whether, even if they're not there. Right. You know, there will be someone there and they will take a note that that one of their one of their constituents showed up and cared enough to to talk to them and it's it's even better if you can you know talk to someone in person absolutely at, well. at a party or uh, you know a social gathering or Forever. something like this if they're so in, if they're so enthusiastic to yeah. to show up well, I'm I'm very happy that uh, first of all, I'm happy to talk to you. I mean, we've been we've been seeing each other. <laughs> I, well, I don't know how many years, year year, year after meet? year after year, and I think this may be the first time that you're sitting in a chair. I, I, I think say, so. I think I said, man, we got to. I mean, somebody that's been coming like this has to have their word out. Michael Tom, it's a pleasure it knowing you, to, and I thank it's you for It's always being great talking you. to you. Absolutely. All right, folks, one last video. We have uh, just about the right time. We may go over by a minute, but these are two young people, and I also want to, I always want to feature a few of the young folks as well. Let's check this one out, and then we'll take it on the other side. 
We're Welcome working. to one more edition of Politics Done Right. As you know, what we try to feature here are activists, people are participating in, in our domain here. Today, we are honored to have Nicole Edwards and Jabray Fall. I tell you what, tell us a little bit about yourself, Nicole. I am a journalist, I'm a podcast producer, and generally interested in social justice. Can you mention your podcast at all? Uh, one of the many podcasts that I work on is Intersectionality Matters with Kimberly Crenshaw. Uh huh. Yeah. And what, what is it all about? Um, it's about intersectionality, which is Dr. Crenshaw's theory right. about the way that systems affect people living at different identity intersections uh-huh. in America. And my dear friend, uh, well, I mean, it sounded that way. Tell me a little bit what you do. Uh, so I'm a law student currently. I am an abolitionist. I, you know, fight for liberation and I write about different topics surrounding theories of justice. Where do you write? Uh, different journals and things. I'm publishing a few academic journals and whatnot. Uh huh. Well, I, I tell you what. What brought you to Ned Roots? So I'm actually working with the African American Policy Forum this summer, and we're just here helping out their, their installation. Well, I mean, uh, that is something I think maybe one would say. I don't know if you've been in Ned Roots. I've been with Ned Roots for about 15 years or so now, and I think it's great to see that uh, we are expanding our horizons to kind of bring to people a lot of what they probably hadn't heard before your thoughts. Absolutely. That's a big part of the reason that we're here today to talk about book bans and anti-CRT legislation and the way that it's destabilizing our democracy. So it's really exciting to be here with like-minded people who are interested in learning more about that. And what are you intent on doing doing to help people realize why book bans are a bad thing? So it's important, one, to educate people on what's going on across the nation. It's in about 42 states where they're implementing legislation or trying to implement legislation that's banning books around divisive, what they call divisive concepts, including African American. The truth is divisive, right? Mm, no, no, no. It can be if you use it the right way. So things like African American studies, critical race theory, LGBTQ identity, gender affirmations, anything that's surrounding like not white supremacy or what the majority would call normal is uh-huh. kind of trying being trying to be banned in out of public systems. And my final question to both of you. What what do you intend to do to ensure that we move past this this book ban shenanigans, etc.? Abolish the system. Okay. <laughs> what does that mean? Abolishing the system means eradicating white supremacy within society, whether we start from the ground up or we can correct it as we go peacefully. Just anything that is colonization. I love that. Your thoughts? I am a big advocate of having people just focus on us, focusing on our community, focusing on the beautiful literature, music, art that we produce and engaging them that way. So my hope is to get folks reading the books that people say they shouldn't read today. Well, you know what? With having young people in charge and and taking the bull by the horns, I think we're in good hands. Thank you so kindly for having me on Politics Done Right. Thank you for having us. All right, folks, that has been Politics Done Right this for this week. I want to thank everybody for being here. Remember that we have uh, we replay at three o'clock on Saturdays and Sundays, the Monday and Tuesday programs in general. Sometimes, depending, we may we may put another one in there or, or whatever. Anyhow, please remember, share, 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 share. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know exactly how I end this, baby. I am what? Out!
we spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.